Hi everyone, I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round with Heaven and Tracy. You're welcome. Just one? Just one. <laughs> Just one. Gotta spread them out. <laughs> and now a special announcement. Today, for the first time in another round history, a white guest will join us in the stew. You heard that right, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. A white guest. Yes, our color barrier is being broken today. This is truly a day that will live in infamy. So this guest is known in the streets as the reverse Jackie Robinson of podcasting. If you will. I won't, but I... Heaven's not going to. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna. I'm gonna. But today we're interviewing Chris Hayes of All In with Chris Hayes at MSNBC. We're very excited about it. What Um, else we got at the show? We have heard the people demand more Stacey and her sage advice. So today is the first edition of Stacey's Career Corner. She's going to just fix all of your lives. So you should probably like write everything down. Yes. Get out a pen and paper right now. Yes. And then rounds as usual. Yeah. Let's start the show. All right. So we're very excited to have Stacey Marie Ishmael back on the show. By popular demand. <laughs> yeah, the people really did demand this. <laughs> Stacey Marie is the head of BuzzFeed News apps, multiple apps, because it's iOS and Android. Yes. Shout out to the team. <laughs> <laughs> She's also just a wise, incredible woman, and people were like, I want her to tell me about my life. <laughs> yes. Some of the few responses we've gotten are around basically the question of how do you ask for a raise? Yes. Raises in general are just like baffling to me right. how and do I, they work how do you make it happen and I feel like they're even more baffling for women of color accurate yes the, like I remember um, talking to a friend of mine and she was like I might have mentioned this on the show already but she was like I worked a job with tons of black women from ages like 21 to 60 and none of them had ever had an occasion to ask for a raise so Stacy Marie <laughs> yeah how do you ask for a raise help help, <laughs> help 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 I think there are a couple of important foundational things to acknowledge first of all which is that there's a lot of research that shows that women are punished for negotiating Mm -hmm. you have to go into this knowing that especially if your boss is a white male or indeed if your boss is also a woman you are not expected socially Mm. to advocate on your own behalf and so if you go in being like i'm awesome give me more money they'll be like wait this is awkward Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it's totally fine if you're evangelizing for your team or somebody that you work with but if you're negotiating for yourself there are a couple of things to think about one of the things that you need to think about is that men are often assessed on potential and women are often assessed on performance So if a man is negotiating for a raise, the premise can often be, here are the things that I think I'm going to do. Or here, you know, like, this is what my career trajectory looks like. This is why you should reward me. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to continue to be valuable. Mm. When women, and especially women from diverse backgrounds are negotiating for a raise, they've got to come in with a list of, here are 15 very specific reasons that I have excelled Mm. in the past Uh, uh, six uh. months or 12 months. And, you know, I want to be rewarded based on the excellent work that I have done. Because there is less leeway given to women for future potential relative to how men are assessed. You know, so that, like the subconscious criteria that people apply is really, really variable depending on like those kinds of variables. So what is that? Is that like a failure of the imagination for like what people of color can do? Right. <laughs> or women? Like, as, why you know, as you say, the tyranny of low expectations. Mm. So, and you know, and the other thing that you have to understand is like raises are not about you and they're not about your personal circumstances. They're about your work. Mm. And something that women often do when they're negotiating, if they negotiate at all, 
is like, well, you know, I have like expenses or like these are these are Student not loans. like no. Yeah. <laughs> these things don't matter. They should not be the basis upon which you're like, this is why I need more money. It's like I would like to make more money because I deserve to earn more money because I have done these things and I'm going to continue to do these things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how hard you've worked. What matters is how the work you have done has benefited the team the organization, the company, and your ability to tell exactly how your contributions have been a part of that. And going back to what I said, you know, the first time you you had me on, which is that women are hilarious at underselling themselves. Mm -hmm. It was like, I did this thing. It was cool. As opposed Mm -hmm. to, I built this entire team. (laughs) And this is something that really manifests in negotiating discussions. And it's often something that hurts your negotiating position at the outset. I'm really bad at that. I need to get a lot better at that. I mean, it's really funny because one of the, like, a power move in negotiation is just being able to stop talking. Ooh. <laughs> I'm writing this down. Say more. Say more. Yes, yeah, so it's like, these are the reasons that I would like to make more money. Silence. Fill the silence, yes. sir. And, you know, yes. but your default response is like that, you know, da, 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 da. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop talking. <laughs> like, let the other oh, person man. digest. Give them room to respond to you as opposed to feeling like you have to fill the spaces. Yeah. I feel like there's a 30 Rock sketch about like, just don't speak. <laughs> so they were both I'm sure, in the like, Jack Donahue like, was like, going to talk first. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely Jack Donahue. Yeah, it was definitely Jack Donahue. What I'm saying is that we value what you do, but this rate is uh, unreasonable. So, what do you want to do? I want to resolve this. Uh, Fairly and amicably. And I don't want any bad blood. So, it, it was nice negotiating with you, and uh, here is all of your money. Let the silence be there. You know, I did that at brunch once. What are you talking about, Tracy? Okay, the, this is relevant. So we were at brunch. It's not that relevant, actually. We were at brunch once, and we had, like, exceeded the the allotted time for a bottomless mimosas. But we had ordered another round anyway. Just like this situation. <laughs> we had ordered another round anyway, and it never came. So I was like, excuse me, ma'am, the, the mimosas that we ordered, they never got here. And she was like, well, actually, the cutoff time's already happened. And I was just like, oh, and nobody said anything. <laughs> I actually do remember do this. Do you remember this? Yes. She was like, but I'll give you it one more It was like a anyway. staring contest. <laughs> yeah. You got to negotiate so like mimosas are on the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your ability to buy more mimosas is definitely on the line. <laughs> uh, you know, and th- that's a hard thing. But I mean, but key to all of this is assuming that you will even ask. Mm. And that is that is pretty fundamental. It's just that you need to ask. The most power you will ever have in an employee-employer relationship is when they are trying to hire you mm-hmm. or when they are trying to keep you. And mm. those are often the times that people just are like, oh, that's so great that you even are, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if people started off at a salary they, they didn't negotiate, but like as they're working, obviously see the discrepancy right. in and, like uh, their work versus what they're paid. And compound mm-hmm. interest is a real thing, right? So if you fail to negotiate for an extra $10,000, like that lack of $10,000 is going to haunt you over the rest of your yes. career because it means you're always benchmarked mm. lower than you could potentially have been. And therefore, the next time you want to raise, it, it, like every additional increase is much more, mm. right? So say you say you said yes to 30 instead of trying to negotiate for 45. It means that if you ever want to get to like 60, mm. <laughs> you know, the jump from 30 to 60 is much more substantial than the right. jump from 45 to 60. Right. And so that's one of the things you have to think about is that you should use every possible opportunity 
to ask for as much as you can. You're not. You're almost never going to get everything that you ask for, mm-hmm. and so that's why you have to have you have to have a couple of positions. You have to have what's the dream, what will I expect, and what do I consider insulting. <laughs> Ooh. Gosh. How do you how do you convey this is insulting? <laughs> My go-to is to flip a table. Considering that that's... How do you do it professionally? <laughs> I mean, you want to avoid ever having ever being made an insulting offer by, you know, so some sometimes you you might read a negotiating book. There's a pretty a good one called Getting to Yes. And one of the things that they talk about, there's a concept called BATNA, which stands for best alternative to the negotiated agreement, which is that if you were to walk away. Like, what's your plan B, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if they did come back with something insulting, what's your plan B? And when you have a plan B, one of the things that happens is you feel more confident about what you're asking for. So for some people, the plan B is I have another job offer. For some people, the plan B is, okay, if you don't want to give me more money, I'm going to ask for a better title or I'm going to ask for more holiday or more holiday allowance or I'm going to ask for the opportunity to work in an international office for three or six months. Mm. And so sometimes people focus too narrowly on negotiating salary Mm. without considering that there's a universe of different kinds of things that you can ask for. And which, depending on where you work, might be easier or harder to get. So, you know, so you really need to know why are you negotiating? What are the things that are important to you? What are the things that are like not negotiable? Right. Mm-hmm. So whether it is I'm not interested in a higher title if I'm not going to get more money, like you really have to have a very clear list of why you're there and what you want to get out of that. Mm. But you also have to go into this knowing that it might not go in your favor. You know, they might say no to the more money. They might say no to the higher title. It might hurt your relationship with your boss, depending on if they're like, well, why are you asking me this? I'm so insulted. I thought we were friends. Mm. Which, you know, is something like not everybody is a good good manager. (laughs) People people are humans. (sighs) And one of the really tough things for a lot of people in different organizations is negotiating... Asking for a raise establishes that you are the, you know, that somebody has the ability to make decisions that directly affect your life. And for some managers, that's something that they're really uncomfortable with Mm. because it then means that they have to go and advocate on your behalf Mm. to whoever it is that they report to or if it's finance, etc. And this is, again, why it's so important to when you're making your pitch, especially if you're a woman and especially if you're a woman from a diverse background, to show how you have helped them. Right. Like how your work has helped the team, how your work has helped them do their jobs, because then they feel more invested in being able to like advocate on your behalf. Right. Sometimes if you report directly to the CEO and they can make that decision done. But often you're reporting to somebody who has to you know, ask somebody else. Right. This person would like to make X amount. Can I do that? Or this person would like this title. Can I do that? And so they need to have ammunition mm. to go to battle for you. Oh, I hope you guys are all taking notes. <laughs> I'm going to like get this entire segment tattooed, like everything you just said tattooed somewhere on my body where I can see it. Thank you so much, Stacey Marie, uh, for dropping all your wisdom and like for reading management books so I don't have to. Yes. So what You're was welcome. the what was the name of the book again in case I'm It's called Getting to, get it. to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Urey. And it's pretty short and extremely readable. And you find yourself negotiating all kinds of things that you didn't think were ever Oh over my God, I need this so in like, my life. And McDonald's is like, okay, your Big Mac is like 577. <laughs> well, I was thinking more 349. I mean, but it's, it's sometimes like, you, you ever try to do that thing where you're trying to organize getting people to, to agree on a date for brunch and uh-huh. it's just a nightmare. You're like, okay, how about we do it this way? You like, are you- so good at that. You are so good at that. I feel like we should just 
changed all career conversations to about brunch conversations. So people so really relatable. know. So relatable. At least relatable. for me. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Stacey Thank Marie. you so much. You Always have changed. This has been Stacey's Career Corner. Yes, that's the song now. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Stacey. All right. And as always, you can follow Stacey Marie's work at the BuzzFeed News app. That's buzzfeed.com slash news app if you haven't heard. You can also find her on Twitter at S underscore M underscore I. Team underscores. <laughs> So our next call-in question has to do with street harassment. In a few shows, we're going to be talking about this, and we want to hear from you. Yes, so give us a call and tell us very quickly in about a 60-second bite about the most ridiculous or absurd thing you have ever heard from a street harasser as you're just living your life, making your way downtown, walking fast. (laughs) (laughs) So give us a call at 5202-ROUNDS. That's 520-276-8637. But if you can, send a voice memo to another round at BuzzFeed.com. That is our preferred method. But if you cannot, we still love you. So we're very excited to have Chris Hayes on our show. Chris is the host of MSNBC's All In with Chris Hayes. And as you may know, Chris, we have had a habit here at another round of of interviewing interesting people, Mm -hmm. all of them who have happened to be people of color. Mm -hmm. Happened. Happened. Happenstance. So I want to congratulate you, first of all, for being an interesting white person. You did it. (laughs) Welcome. You did it. Welcome. That's basically what I'm hoping the obituary reads. (laughs) An interesting white person. Here here lies an interesting white person. (laughs) Um, The few. (laughs) The few, the proud. (laughs) The white people. Um, (laughs) So we like to... (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) We like to start off all our interviews by asking people, what do you do and why? I make television. I make an hour of live TV every night. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do it because... That's a harder question. (laughs) I I, uh, I do it because even as the media landscape changes, there's Mm -hmm. nothing that has quite the kind of concentrated reach of uh, television at this moment. And you have a kind of amazing opportunity to speak to... You know, we probably have between our two shows, you know, we the show reruns at 11 o'clock, about a million people mm-hmm. a night. And, you know, you get to talk to a million people every night, which, you know, is kind of like a once in a lifetime opportunity. You yeah. don't get to talk to that many people. And, I, you know, I've, I've been a journalist since I was basically since I was out of college. Mm. And I like trying to learn about the world and figure the world out. And I remember my senior year of college kind of thinking like if there was a way I could hook it up so that I could learn but get paid yeah as opposed as opposed to pay to learn like can I pull off this hustle where like right now (laughs) my parents and other members of my family are paying for me to learn Mm -hmm. but if I could go out in the world and then someone pays me to learn yes that would that would be pretty (laughs) sweet (laughs) so I'm 36 so I've basically more or less pulled that hustle off for 15 years um, with varying degrees of success. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's why I do it. I like to learn. Awesome. So let's go back in time a little bit. Friend of the show, Jesus yes. and Chris Hayes went to high school together middle in school. the Bronx. Middle school. Middle oh, school. middle school. Excuse me. IS-181. Let me tell you about IS-181. <laughs> IS-181 is in Co-op City. Co-op City is this fascinating 
development on the way, 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 way east side of the Bronx, in which they basically bought a huge amount of land and put up like 90 concrete skyscrapers mm. and created Co-op City. And it's mm. it's some crazy, like high modernist Le Corbusier dystopic vision of the future <laughs> in which oh like God. it's all organized in like sections mm. and they're they're sort of courtyards but it's, it's all very brutalist it's all poured concrete and there are schools there and we were in this middle school is-181 that the years that we were there was being housed in a high school Truman High School because they were doing asbestos remediation Jesus. in the middle school. <laughs> oh my God. And so we would, it was so weird because we would go to school and we were 10 or 11. We would go in the lobby and then we would take this elevator up to the floor that was like the, the middle school floor and um, interacting with these teenagers, you know, with high school teenagers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember one point, at one point we went out for gym and I got. For some reason, I had money in my pocket, and I don't know why. <laughs> I was in fifth grade. I'll never forget this. We were out at gym, and there was like a craps game that the high school kids were playing oh that I was, God. of course, like pulled oh into. Goodness. Like, oh, oh, oh Shorty, you want to come play? You want to come play? And like, I know. I was like, sure, guys. <laughs> and then like, next thing I know, it's like, I have no idea what the rules of craps are. <laughs> Dice are being rolled up against this like little wall. People have money out. Like I have money out. <laughs> <laughs> and then like I'm winning, but then surprise, surprise, in the end I lost all my money. It's like, ah, next time, Shorty, next time. <laughs> like, okay. For Bye, context, guys. how old were you when you were shooting craps? <laughs> eleven, maybe? <laughs> I was like eleven. I mean, I didn't make a habit of it. This is a kind of a one-time thing I was snookered into. I remember being taught the electric slide. By my friend Kamal, oh my whose God. cousin whose cousin was in the video. So what? this was like this was like the the special advanced knowledge. <laughs> oh, it was snap. like it was like my cousin was just in this video. <laughs> oh my God. That's and like amazing. his cousin had been in a special ed video too. She was like what? kind of like a video girl. So you grew up in the Bronx with a lot of black people. Yes. <laughs> One of the questions that we got the most when we were soliciting questions was, how is he so comfortable around black people? <laughs> and my response was, well, he grew up in the Bronx. But they were like, well, that doesn't mean you have to like black people. Yeah, so that's true. Nobody is satisfied <laughs> with that answer. Would you like to go into any advanced detail? <laughs> uh, well, look, I mean, I grew up in the Bronx in the 80s. Uh-huh. You know, the Bronx now is not a place where white people are the majority. Right. Um, <laughs> we ended up moving when I was like 11 or 12. We moved to this neighborhood that is predominantly white. It's Riverdale, which is like the sort of enclave, although we're in a, we were in a part of it that was much more diverse than some parts of it are. But from the ages of zero to 10, I lived in this just kind of working class outer borough neighborhood, which is just a really diverse place. Like my my grade school, I go back and look at those photos and my grade school was like almost literally a quarter white, a quarter black, a quarter mm. a quarter Asian and a quarter Latina. Mm. Like om almost to the number. Mm. So I That's think rare. It's <laughs> right. super rare. Like how does that happen? I really like cherished the strange world of my upbringing, which was like this so my 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 Father was a community organizer. He was a he had been a Jesuit priest, and then he left the priesthood, and he was a community organizer. My mom had been a teacher in the Bronx. She grew up in the Bronx, and I think like, my dad has spent his entire life working only around people of color, mm. like essentially, like always. Community organizer in the Bronx. He went to work every day in East Harlem for the New York City Public Health 
department mm-hmm. until he retired a few months ago. Like, my whole parents' world was neighborhoods that are where there are not many white people. Mm-hmm. That was the world they inhabited. That was where the the place where all these folks that who were essentially kind of like well-meaning, good white liberals mm-hmm. from the certain Catholic faith tradition had come to like do good work. But I think the ethos that they embodied because they were trained often as community organizers, and my mom was trained as an educator, is like managed to do a really good job of stripping them of some of the worst habits and inclinations of like white liberalism, <laughs> mm. which can be very... It, at its worst, can be extremely patronizing, savior-esque, mm-hmm. condescending, et cetera. And I just think they did a pretty good job of transmitting that to me and my brother. Like, my brother my brother has been an organizer for... He's an organizer now. How do you think about that kind of stuff, like, on your show? I remember reading you were saying... Um, this was in 2013 when it was a weekend show. But, like, as a general rule, if there are four people sitting at a table, only two of them can be white men. Yes. I have done a bad, a worse job of that in primetime, I have to say. I think the, the pressures of booking a show nightly have, mm. have pushed us away from, like, when I had three days ahead, right. <laughs> just so much easier, it's yeah. like, and I would just be, like, rigidly enforcing this. Um, but yeah, I think broadly, it is the case that I want to hear from a lot of different people, just as an intellectual matter, right? also as a matter of equality, social justice, but also... It's just more interesting. So we try really hard to listen to different voices. And that means also, like, we really go out of our way to book conservatives on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to hear from them, too. You know, like, that sort of talking to everyone also means, like, that was the thing I really loved about being a print reporter. You know, I did this big feature article on evangelical colleges. And it was just like, it is it is interesting to me to talk to people. Right. <laughs> and so I went to, you know, uh, Pat Robertson's Regent University. And I went you know, to Wheaton, Illinois, and just, it was like, hey, you know, what's up? What, tell me about what, what your deal is. Do you have, like, quotas that, or do you find quotas helpful? Like, we need to meet, meet this specific number. We, we, we did on the weekend show and basically have abandoned it, which is not something I think I'm necessarily proud of. Right. Do, do other shows have quotas? I don't no. even know how it works. I right. assume no, they no don't. One, <laughs> no, I think there's generally a generally a sense of like hey let's diversify but it, right. it's, it's it's easy for diversity to get knocked down the queue of priorities yes <laughs> <laughs> what? Let, no me, way. let me tell you guys something okay what? i'm gonna blow your mind check it wait let me get a pin let me write this down. check it check it sometimes no the uh yeah so i think there are so many competing pressures mm. it's it's very easy to have this idea in your head and then watch it get knocked down we're in I don't know if you listen to that, the Wyatt uh, Sinek on Mark Maron. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was an incredible episode. Yeah. That, was, that was incredible for a Tons million reasons yes. before yeah. it got to the Daily Show. Yes. Like, it was just like, whoa, yes. dude, like that is a, that, uh, the, the relationship he has with his mother, like that was all very, yeah. very intense. Mm-hmm. But his thing about like, it just, I feel like every employer, every manager needs to listen to that part where he's talking about being in that room as like the only one. Mm-hmm. And I was the one black writer there. And so it was this thing where it's like, you know, when you're the one, you speak for whether you want to or not, you wind up speaking for everybody. And you speak for all the black people you speak. But you also, at least for me, I always felt like I have to speak for all the minorities because there's nobody speaking for them necessarily if something seems questionable. My stomach was in knots listening Mm, to that, thinking about that. 
and there's actually yes. <laughs> I mean, not for me, but yes, very triggering for me. Very yes. triggering. <laughs> but also, we are constantly all our editorial meetings are constantly revolving around issues of race because that is something that we are very committed to covering, and also is like really in the news, right? Mm-hmm. And so having those conversations, like I just trying to do a satire show whether you have one black writer in that context seems just insane it also seems like a suicide mission frankly yes. like We're if you do you, that SNL. if you do that you're gonna blow yourself up yeah. you're gonna you are going to get it wrong you're gonna say yeah. something stupid mm-hmm. it's unavoidable it's unavoidable because yeah. everyone says you know what i mean like uh-huh. it's and a, you can always tell when somebody has no brown people on their team always yes it's like who approved this <laughs> you yeah. know like who did you not run this by for this to happen but to continue this Daily Show thread, um, Trevor Noah was at the Television Critics Association where like networks present to yep. critics and advertisers like, here are new shows in the fall. So he was talking about the new Daily Show with him. He said he's going to be spending less time covering Fox and more time covering BuzzFeed. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, which kind of s- signals a shift in like cultural attitudes, but also in Wait. like how people get the news. Wait, but can I just respond to that for a second? Yes. I make a television show every day. Okay. <laughs> In September, it will mark four years I've been a television broadcaster full-time. Before I was a broadcaster, I didn't understand or know anything about television. I'm still relatively green. Mm -hmm. But I've learned some things. It's one thing to play a clip of another television show as the subject of your satire. (laughs) It's another to cut to a scroll over of a website yeah. like that's not as good tv like, <laughs> yeah. when he said that i was like i don't care about what this means about media blah blah but it's like <laughs> the producer in me and i'm not a producer but you learn to be a right, producer right, as a right. host the producer in me is like i don't think that's gonna work <laughs> like, like clickhole works because clickhole is a website right uh-huh. that that parodies another website mm-hmm. or another sort of set of inclinations of websites yeah like it's very hard to do cross Yes. Um, yeah. Cross medium parody. So yeah. anyway, but I but yes, I think it was interesting because I think he is recognizes that you know there's this premium on young people, young audiences for advertisers. It's part of the reason that BuzzFeed I think has been very successful. I think BuzzFeed is very like celebrated amongst the world of folks in media world because and it's true of Vice, it's true of a bunch of other places where it's like they have the young people. How do we get the young people? Yeah. What do the young people want? <laughs> yeah. And it's really weird because I have just crossed the barrier. Like for the first time I would say in the last few years of my life where I'm like, okay, I am not that always was me. Like I remember being 25 and 26 and it was like all the old guard journalists were like, what is with these blogs? And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean what's with these blogs? Like you go to WordPress, you sign up, and then you right, have a blog. And then you get one. It's that easy. And now I am literally like, I cannot use Snapchat. I, can't, <laughs> I cannot use it, okay? I have tried and been defeated. It's like my grandfather with the VCR. I'm like, I Yo, don't. Snapchat is hard. I cannot Snapchat use it. Snapchat is weird. It's, it's super the one weird. that I'm like, this is hard. I tried it for a week and I was like, why don't I just text you this stuff? What's the point? Why don't I just tweet it? I Instagram it. So you feel that pressure to be like a little more relevant to younger people? No, I mean I don't because cable news is not a me- is not a medium that yeah. young people are but watching. Like the median the- age of cable news viewers is like is old. Okay, right. <laughs> it's f- fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty somewhere on the mm. median median age. Ooh, um, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> well, partly though, that, that, that's partly a measurement problem, right? Because like I meet young people all the time who are like, "Hey, Chris Hayes, whatever." They're they're watching clips online that are getting tweeted or into or their just feed you on Twitter mm-hmm. or seeing me on yeah. Twitter. 
No, none of them are like well, eight o'clock. Let me just uh, <laughs> let me just sit down and uh, get the remote. And, okay, well, you know, Sorry, like I can't just, go out. I got to stay in and watch. Christmas no one Day. does that. Mm. Like, and I, I, I really think there is this. There is two different ways of thinking about this in the television industry. There's panic, and there's <laughs> and and there's like fingers in the ears. Mm. Like, there's the, there's this sort of old guard. that's like everyone's always going to watch TV, and they're right that like you know, 25 million people a night watch the three at work evening newscasts, there's nothing that has an audience like that. Mm. Like, at the same time, 25 million people getting together to, Mm -hmm. like, like that is massive, okay? The 24 million people that watch the Republican debate, nothing, there's no equivalent to that. At the same time, like, do you know anyone that sits and watches television real time as a habit? I, honestly, do you know anyone your age? I did last year because I had cable. I don't even have cable anymore. You know, I don't even have a TV right now, and I don't miss it. <laughs> I don't miss it. Yeah. No. no. So there's this, there's a really interesting question about that, which is, is that a trend or is that an age effect? Hmm. Right? Hmm. So there's two possibilities. One is, Heaven and Tracy 10 years from now are, are the same way, right? Like, you don't have cable, you don't have a TV, and you still have everything at your fingertips because you have Netflix and Hulu, and you can grab things wherever, Right. The other idea is that, okay, well, 10 years from now, who knows, you, you know, you make more money, you, maybe you have kids. And, you can afford and, cable. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. And then you sort of like age into yeah. it the same way that like you age into nicer car, buying a new car or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it's very unclear at this point because we've never had that, this cohort that is sort of a cord cutting cohort, we've mm. never had them step through. So we don't yeah. know. I do wonder though about the future of the like 24 hour cable news. Yeah. What it's gonna look like? I was thinking about. I this would be in shocked particular. if it exists ten years from now. Really? Ten years from now? Mm-hmm. I would be surprised if twenty-four hour cable news exists. Yeah. Mm. How will we end it? <laughs> how do we do okay, that? So thank, thank you very much. <laughs> um, how do we put <laughs> you out of work? That. <laughs> so I was thinking specifically about the Ferguson coverage because it was like th- it was happening late at night. I was like, "What is happening? I can't keep up with everything on Twitter. I just need one person telling me this. Hey, let me try the news." <laughs> so. Ostensibly, that's a time when the 24-hour news cycle is, like, helpful for you. Yeah. The medium feels most useful in those moments. It also often can veer into having its worst impulses. (laughs) Um, You know, there's this battle between spectacle and context. It's like, as a television producer, speaking purely as a television producer, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm taking all my politics, like, (laughs) totally amoral. You light a car on fire, I will put my camera on a car burning Mm -hmm. for hours. Mm. Like... That is, like, you can just watch them. A car burning is like, holy, cr- buildings burning, right? right? Like, kids in Mondamin Mall throwing rocks. It, with t-shirts over their face. Like, mm-hmm. again, erasing all politics, like, the, spe- the, right. the visual spectacle of that. Right. Now, the question is, what are you communicating to viewers over and above the visual spectacle that you're giving them? Is it, like, these crazy people are rioting? Yeah. Is it... Let me break down a little bit of the context here. Like, how do you communicate along those those many channels? Yeah. And the temptations are bad temptations from a political and journalistic standpoint because the temptation is towards con- conflict and spectacle as opposed towards context and understanding. Right. It is. Yeah. So speaking of media and the internet, what <laughs> is your media diet? Like, yeah. what are you consuming? What 100% black Twitter only. <laughs> 
<laughs> just black Twitter. That's it. That's the yeah. appetizers, main course. Vine videos. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a, va- of a favorite? To- of toddlers popping and locking. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, I... I think like a lot of people, my media diet is very much driven by social media, by mm-hmm. like who I follow. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, can I just say, I think black Twitter is like the greatest thing in the world. Expound, <laughs> say more. Tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> I just, I think that like, there are these different pockets of different worlds that I follow that are constantly like forcing me out of what would be my yeah. narrow confines of like what's going on in the world. You it's kind of like you get to be a fly on the wall of conversations yes. that you were other, otherwise not privy to. Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. when that whole insane thing went down with the dude was going to fight the other dude about Kobe. <laughs> Temecula. Temecula. Yo. <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was incredible. I'm retroactively embarrassed for everybody involved. <laughs> Yeah, that, was, it, that was embarrassing. <laughs> it was just like a fight between two dudes, but somehow all but of Twitter it, found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he sent the picture of the sign that said, Welcome to Temecula, I was like, Hell no! <laughs> Too much. Oh that was God, some great driving around It was amazing. Oh my God, and it was Men, all about. I can't even. Yes. Uh, Men, exactly. People always talk about how emotional women are. Listen. This man left his children. To get in the car and go fight over some tweets about some man that doesn't know you exist. But we're emotional. Okay, sure, let's do that. So do you feel like black Twitter is more like of an accountability mechanism almost? Oh, it is a tremendous accountability mechanism. I mean, I have sort of a theory about the coverage of Black Lives Matter over the last year. Mm. Basically through sheer force of accident, it happens that the social network that sort of, let's say, conscious black folks of a certain age use the most. Mm -hmm. And the social network that white journalists use the most happens to be the same social network (laughs) Mm -hmm. through sheer accident. Mm. Like, there's no reason that that would be the case. It just happens to be that. And I think that has had a demonstrable, appreciable effect Mm. on the coverage. Like, I think the fact that it's hashtag Black Lives Matter, the fact that it's like, Oh, it's Netta. It's Deray. Like, right. it, like I those I recognize those little avatars. Like, yeah. And the fact that that's also the place that journalists really go first mm-hmm. had the really, I think, good effect on pushing the coverage and also on accountability. So I want to talk a little bit about election stuff. Mm-hmm. So the Huffington Post publicly made a point to say like they're covering Trump in their entertainment section, not politics. Glenn Beck's radio show is like, uh, he said, um, I just can't do another show about it. So he's like declared it a Trump free zone. Damn, and Glenn Beck is not even running with you. And I think um, Fox's relationship has been interesting. Someone at the New York Times called it mutually beneficial combat. Yeah. Like, how do you view your role in covering someone like him? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many different ways that I would like to answer that question as like, this is a safe space. Please go in, as the kids like to say. No one, no one will know. <laughs> no one will ever know what you think. Um, I think Trump is a fascinating and genuine phenomenon. And so I think he's worthy of coverage. Hmm. Here's my feeling about elections. Elections are very, if I could get grad school for a second. <laughs> go off, Chris, go off. <laughs> uh, elections are very interesting texts to read. Hmm. They are the way that a, crazy ass nation 
communicates itself in some weird way. And I think there's a theory that like Trump is entirely media creation, which is partly true and partly not. Mm. There's you ever see the Jay Smooth video on this from like back in 2011 when Trump there was like a little Trump bubble and he was like. And then people stopped talking about Trump and he fell in the polls and maybe it was you. <laughs> I learned it from watching you. Like he's got this whole, he had this whole riff about how it was a sort of like the chicken and egg of the coverage. The yeah, phenomenon. yeah. Last week, a real news story broke that forced everyone on the news to stop talking about Donald Trump. And lo and behold, after one week of TV news people not talking about Donald Trump, they took another poll and found out that nobody cared about Donald Trump anymore. How could, how could this be? It's like a miracle. Could it be that there was no organic force of nature compelling everyone to care? Could it be that there is no law of Trump gravity? Do you see what I'm saying? I think it was because of you, TV news people, all along. People cared so much because you talked about it so much. It was you. I learned it by watching you. Look, we're part of that because we can't not be part of it in certain ways, right? Like, I think there's something fascinating happening with Trump, which is basically he distills down a certain kind of politics of affect, a certain kind of politics of tone that has come to dominate the Republican Party in the out years, in the Obama era, in the Obama era of opposition, in which at a national level, they have not been governing. Mm. And it turns out people really like that because they have developed, conservative media has developed people's taste for that. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a little bit like they're looking for the off switch on the Frankenstein. Ooh. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Something that we like to ask our guests, especially guests who deal with heavy things like people being murdered by police and just horrible news things. What is your self-care routine? How do you keep from going insane? How do you keep from being like a sponge that just soaks up all yeah. of the maladies of the awful parts of humanity? Because <laughs> you deal a lot with that. So like once the cameras are off, how do you regenerate? How do you take care of yourself? Do you take care of yourself? I take okay care of myself. I would say... Three things. One, my family. Number one, first and foremost, by far, like I have an incredible, incredible, incredible family. Um, How do you balance parenting and work? Do you think men can have it all? Can men <laughs> have it all? No. <laughs> no one can have it all. That's what's so preposterous about the entire conceit. Um, my schedule means that I can hang out with my kids in the morning and that's great. Mm. And I love that. I miss bedtime every night, which is not great. But yeah, my kids are amazing. Uh, I have a, a fourteen-month-old. Um, yeah. We've been looking for a podcast baby. <laughs> we should talk more you about this later. He's he he super not cute. To take. He's I'm super just cute. like borrow. His okay. name's David, and I have we'll a, a three and a half year old named Ryan, who's a uh, girl. My daughter. We can get two podcast babies, <laughs> Tracy. I'm sorry. Show. Okay, later, later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ryan's not really a baby. I mean, if you'd call Ryan a baby, she would. Oh, we would object not. at three and, we'll and a half. Not podcast toddler. Yeah. <laughs> He's, we'll give her a title. Yeah. A podcast big girl. So so fa family first. Um dark humor. Like mm. I one of the ways I deal with like my humor is really dark in the workplace. <laughs> How dark does it get? It's dark. It's like really dark. And it's the way that I process like, you know, during that period last summer where the two things we were covering was Ferguson and ISIS beheading people mm. and it was just like these 
fucking videos, these fucking disgusting, horrifying motherfuckers mm. doing this thing to and, ma- and just like in the most evil way. I just, and I hated them. I hated them for the act. I hated them for the fact they were trying to make me cover it. I hated it for the fact that we were gonna all cover it. I just was filled with hatred mm. for these people. Appropriate hatred. They are hateful people. <laughs> Well-placed hatred. Joking is key to me to mm-hmm. like not, even when it's like real gallows humor. Yeah, so like gallows humor crying. is my like <laughs> coping mechanism. And then the the last thing I would say is is pick up basketball, which nice. is like the greatest thing in the world. And <laughs> I try to, I am in one game every Monday night, which is great. I'm try, I try to play another night a week through like indoorhoops.com, just like go to some random place and play ball. And if I could play ball every day of my life, I would do it if I could. Oh, so then beautiful. would you say that... Would you say ball is life? <laughs> ball is life. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do a segment that we call Pew Pew Pew. The finger guns are very important. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Um, rapid fire, very random questions. Some came from other people. Most of them came from us. <laughs> um, first question that we have to ask because people get mad when we don't ask it of our guests is how do you feel about squirrels? No pressure, <laughs> but the way that you answer this question determines whether or not we are friends once you leave the studio. Uh, I think they're gross. Okay, good. Good answer. Right. Good answer. Besties. <laughs> I think if you grew up in New York, you, yes. like you don't, think like anything else <laughs> right they're like they're like pigeons like i bear them no ill will they're not rats but right. like like do your thing but like yeah. yes pigeons are pretty cool for the record <laughs> all right chasing no we're not doing this we're not doing this um next question do you use lotion no really <laughs> like i'm sorry do like, you ever find yourself ashy no I have. I don't have particularly so dr- you're just a well moisturized man i'm a congenitally well moisturized man <laughs> Which is undoubtedly linked to white privilege, I'm sure. That's 100%. why you don't have to use lotion. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, goals. I wish my body did that. Same. Um, everybody wants to know where you get your glasses. Yes, that was like or, our number one question. Yeah. Warby Parker. How did I know that? Cheap and easy. Do you have cable? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite cuss word? Fuck. Good Beautiful. choice. Beautiful. Strong choice. Um, there's a rumor in the streets uh, that you can Uh-oh. beatbox. Who started that rumor? <laughs> oh my god, I don't can know. Can you or can you could not confirm this? Uh no. I, I mean I can in the way that like <laughs> any idiot can. <laughs> so you you understand that we're gonna ask you to beatbox. No, no, I'm not beatboxing. Just like you. I will not do that. <laughs> oh, this is very, very important to me. Um, would you rather have the sensation of something being in your eye that you can't get out for a full year or Feel like you have to sneeze and not be able to for a full year. Sneeze, definitely. Really? I have like a, I, I let me tell you a thing about eyes. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about eyes. At a certain point, I was like, I am going to uh, do a thing that people do is, and get contacts. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I went and I got fitted for contacts. And the guy said, Okay, here's your prescription, here's your contacts. Uh, before we let you go, uh, just we have to do this. Uh, go back in the back room and just put them in and take them out <laughs> once uh-huh. before you leave. Yeah. I proceeded to go back. And basically jam my freaking fingers in my <laughs> eyes for 45 minutes. So I was sobbing and oh modeled. 
And then I was like, I can't do this. And he's like, well, just come back later. I then proceeded for a week to stop by this place oh and failed for a week to successfully put in and take out contacts wow. to the point where those contacts are still in that place in Washington, D.C. from five years ago <laughs> when I waved the white flag on contacts. Like, So I have a thing about things in my eye. Okay. I would actually prefer to have to feel like there's something in my eye for you. But when you like look like you need to sleaze, you look horrible. <laughs> you just walk around with like doing the weird nose. That's also thing. true. Yeah, a friend of mine calls that blue nose instead of blue balls. Don't do this because the sensation. I do not want to end on that note. No, I, I understand the matter. Thank you for explaining. <laughs> You're like blue Thank nose, you. and here's why. <laughs> I like to explain things. I always like people to understand. If you don't want to end on blue nose, I can find another question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't. Well, wait. One more quick question. What is your middle name? Lofredo. It's my mother's maiden name. Oh. Somehow I was hoping that you would say Leroy. I'm going to pretend like it's Leroy from here out. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for being our first white person for uh, the show. The reverse Jackie Robinson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only one in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I you, hope Chris. that I spoke up for my people. You can you can now go and talk about um, all the microaggressions you face. That's the only white man in the room. <laughs> oh my god, I had to speak for the entire white male race. I'm just one person. How can I do this? <laughs> uh, as always, y'all can catch Chris Hayes uh, at 8 p.m. on MSNBC. All in with Chris Hayes. Oh, wait. I do want to say this. My mother once referred to you. I think I told you this already. My mother once referred to you as the handsome man who looks like Rachel Maddow. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they can follow you on Twitter at Chris L. Hayes. Chris L. Hayes, everyone. All right. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you stopping by. So it was fun. Yes. All right, Tracy, I think it's time to buy some rounds. Baby, come through. You deserve rounds tonight. That was incredible. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Tracy, who are you buying a round for? I am buying a round for the act of crocheting. Ooh. I have been crocheting for a couple of months, maybe. Mm -hmm. Two or three months. And How did you even get into this? Well, <laughs> funny you should ask. So I... I really like hobbies. I like having like something that I can like turn to and do at the end of the day yeah. where I can just kind of like turn off my brain and I just like I was literally just thinking something. I need a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not good at a lot of things. <laughs> it involved me like having to make stuff like I would always like, I always have like interests and like I get hyper focused and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be like the best whatever that is like on earth. And like I'm so focused on it for like two weeks mm. and then I'm like, eh, it's not yeah. really fun anymore. So, Letting go of the, like, you don't have to be excellent at this. Just yeah, do it. Have right. some fun. <laughs> right. Exactly. So how'd you get into it? Our co-worker, Alana Oaken, who works for BuzzFeed Life. She's on the DIY desk. She knows everything. Yes. <laughs> if um, I need to upgrade my life, I'm like, Alana. She can literally make Point anything, me to the right Etsy store. <laughs> anything. I once saw this woman, like, knit an entire, like, thing in, like, the course of an hour. It yeah. was crazy. So she had this um, class where she was teaching people how to knit. So I learned how to like do a couple of like really, really easy stitches and I fell in love with it because I really like um, 
repetitive things where like I don't have to like think about like what to do next. Yeah. It's just like I put this needle this way and then I loop it this way and then I loop it that way and I do it all over again. I will sit and do that forever because it's just a way to like turn off my brain because yeah. I'm so like anxious and freaked out like the entire day. <laughs> so <laughs> same. So it became like a huge part of my self-care routine and then I learned about crocheting and she did her best to teach me like the fundamentals it was so hard. But <laughs> it I was like hard. Yes, but I was like I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. So I went home, I watched countless YouTube tutorials on how to crochet <laughs> cuz I had the basics from Alana. And so like the YouTube tutorials just like kind of like got me to a place where I could make a blanket. Mm. So I've been making a baby blanket oh. for my niece who is having a baby. Oh my god. So um you're so sweet. You're the best great aunt. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I didn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's I didn't crazy mean to say though. It. <laughs> it is. It's nuts. It's nuts. And like my favorite thing to listen to while I crochet is Kendrick. So like, yes, I'm on the train and I'm doing like this really old lady thing. But like, I'm like bopping real hard. Like you know, <laughs> like my rap hands are going from time to time. And it's just like it's the it's my favorite part of the day. It's just being on the train and just like crocheting and it's like looping over and over and over and over again amazing i love it also i meet the nicest old ladies because they're (laughs) like oh my gosh what are you making so around for crocheting and knitting and for alana who introduced me to a huge part of my self-care routine Yo, because it really shout out to Alana, shout out to hobbies. Yes, and Alana <laughs> gets you one. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to follow um, Alana and see all the beautiful things that she makes, you can follow her on Twitter at Alana. That's A L A N N A. So that's my round this week. Who are you buying around for? Who or what are you buying around for? I would like to buy around for custom bras, bras that fit. <laughs> Wait, yes. I don't um, know if I have any of those. I feel like I asked women like. How many bras do you own? Uh-huh. And how many do you wear? Uh-huh. And how often do you wash them? Ooh. Everyone has depressing ass answers to all of those questions. That would be a good call-in question. A good set of call-in questions. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. But anyways, I just got to a point in my life where I was like, you know what? This is like a fundamental part of how I present myself. Let me step it up. So I went to this place called Iris Lingerie, which is basically a small little like boutique shop in Brooklyn where you can get custom fitted bras. And I, I don't mean custom like it's mad special. It's just like a real human like measures, measures you <laughs> yes <laughs> and you know how like every oprah special is like women don't know what bra size they're wearing <laughs> yeah. i've been wearing a 32b all yes. my life turns out i should be wearing a 46d honestly though it is like transformative <laughs> That's what it I changes hear. your life this place is run by like a dope caribbean woman okay and she reminds me of my auntie so it feels mad familiar to me Aww. But for other people who are might be newer to this experience, <laughs> it's a little more hands-on and, like, she's all up in your business. Oh. So it's, like, you go and you want, it like, a consultation and she'll mm-hmm. be, like, uh, all right, ma'am, get naked in front of me. Like, let's do oh this. Let's God. do this. So I, I do want to warn people a little <laughs> if they're not used to that. But I, I was at brunch the other day and all of my girlfriends were, like, going around the circle talking about their boyfriends and girlfriends and what's going on in their life. And I was like, I just got a new bra. I'm feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> so get yourself a, like a nice ass bra. So did it really, like, do you feel like when I you got the new bra, did feel, you feel like you were like yes. living life wrong? Yes. Really? I genuinely feel that was way. Was it expensive though? It was. Well, uh, expensive to me is like, I get my bras like Ross and Marshall. Listen. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe targeted $25. <laughs> but like people are used to, I don't know. I like, like even Victoria's Secret prices are like sixty. Yeah. So it was a, like around there. So okay. it's not okay. exorbitant in terms of normal people prices, but for me that was okay. like, what am I doing <laughs> spending so much on one article of clothing? 
<laughs> so I do honestly genuinely recommend getting like a custom bra fitting and I've done it before at like Victoria's Secret and those people never know what they're doing. Interesting. And if you can't find a store, honestly look online and just like the whole point of this is like f- get things that fit you and are perfect for your life. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm trying to do in every sphere. So like bras is a start because it's so <laughs> foundational. But I'm like doing it everywhere. Shout out to bras, custom bras. Bras that fit. Bras that fit, bras you take care of. <laughs> I'm going to get one one day. <laughs> and shout out to like making the best out of every single portion of your life. Oh, Even beautiful. if it's just a bra. Even if it's just a bra. It will change your life, guys. Honestly, <laughs> you walk different, okay? <laughs> shout out to bras. <laughs> All right. We did it. We did it. We We did did it. it. Yeah, (laughs) we did it. Um, Thank you so much to Chris Hayes for stopping by and answering all our questions. We're going to make his kids our podcast baby. Listen. It's going to happen. If you have other candidates for podcast baby, let us know. The requirements are be a baby and be able to talk. And hold a conversation. That's it. That's all. That's all we need out of a podcast, baby. Thank you to Chris Hayes. Thank you to Stacey Marie for changing everybody's life. Always. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Thank you to Heaven. Thank you, Tracy. Oh, my God. You're so good. <laughs> Thank you to the Pod Squad. Pod Squad. Only reason we are here. That is Eleanor Kagan, Jenna Weiss Berman, Julia Furlan, and also Paul Paul's wearing long sleeves right now. Paul, what are you What's doing? What's going on? He's throwing oh, us all off. Oh, Paul just gave us a little shoulder. All right, this is getting <laughs> X-rated. We got to wrap it up. You guys should know when I say Pod Squad, when we say Pod Squad, you have to hear it in the Waka Flocka voice. I just can't do impressions. <laughs> <laughs> squad Flocka. Also, you should Google Waka Flocka's like ad libs without the music oh my gosh it will change your amazing. life amazing also also google waka flocka talking about voting it's the funniest thing in the just world just get you heard more this? waka in your life <laughs> <laughs> he was on 106 in park and somebody asked him about voting he was like yeah voting voting good you need to vote <laughs> it's so good it's so good so do that thank you to our in-house musicians that is Jean Grey, who tweets as Jean Greasy. We're going to be on her show pretty soon. Hey. So listen out for details for that. Also, thank you to Don Will of the Almighty Tanya Morgan. You can follow him at Don Will. That's D-O-N-W-I-L-L. You can follow Heaven at Heaven Rants. That's Heaven the Noun and Rants the Verb. It I'm trying to get so better to say at that. making it like not that. <laughs> oh. So <laughs> Heaven like the place I don't believe in. Kanye, uh, rants like the verb people use to describe Kanye. Oh, that's Every heavy. time Kanye speaks. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, I want to go out in a heavy note, Tracy. Okay, all right. Well, we've done that. You can follow and me. And shout out to Brokey McPoverty. <laughs> not, not quite as intense. It's just a summary of my bank account, <laughs> which is pretty sad, though. Um, it's as actually always, pretty heavy. Yeah, we'll both end on heavy notes. <laughs> as always, drink some water, guys. Call your mom and take your meds. I'm doing so horribly at that. You know what else you should do? What? Back up your data. Ooh. <laughs> When was the last time you backed up your data? I was not prepared for that. I was doing that shit last night. What? I feel so good. Damn. (laughs) Honestly, it'll change your life. I'm going to do that. Maybe try some yoga. Yeah, maybe. Um, And if you love the show, rate us on iTunes and leave a review. That helps us with all iTunes things, but also just helps us get to know how people feel about the show. Yeah. And if you have any questions or want to talk to us, another round at BuzzFeed.com. Yes. Thank you, guys. Yay. And that's a wrap. Bye.
I personally have never been to the Bronx or Queens, what? which is I know, I know, I'm not what? proud. Shaking my head. I'm not proud, guys. I'm not proud. Um, I'm gonna go eventually one day. The greatest thing about the Bronx Zoo is like you will hear parents yelling at their kids in 20 different languages. <laughs> it's like, like, get back over here. Get back over here. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, in 20 different, no, you can't have more ice cream. 